Well, it's a pleasure to be here for the first time at Springwood Farm. I've heard many, many things about this place, but it's really one of those places you really have to, you have to be here to really see its magic. You can't really tell what's here from a computer screen or a website, which I think is part of the magic. So uh, I'm here with Giles, the founder and, and glorious host of this place. And my first question is, why? Why create this place? Um, why choose this place? Um, what is the meaning it has for you in your life? Well, firstly, it's a, a real pleasure to have you here, Anton. I've known you for many years now. Um, and so very nice to have you here with a crackling fire in the background. Um, so welcome to Springwood. So why? Well, um, this place actually chose me. Um, I wasn't ever really planning on buying um, ancient woodland in Sussex, but um, one day I went out into the woods where I used to take leaders into nature in the Golden Valley in Stroud and set an intention and sat there and said, if there's any ancient woodland out there that does the work I do, uh, let themselves be known to me um, to help leaders connect with nature's wisdom. And literally about four or five hours later, since setting that intention, an email came in about this place, um, which apparently was going to be going to be sold to a developer. And would I be able to help? So that led to a series of activities, which led to me, yeah, now owning the place and running my international leadership centre from here at Springwood. Amazing. And when you say ancient woodland. What is the difference, uh, do you feel, of this place compared to a park in London or, uh, you know, um, an artificial forest planted next to some farm? Well, uh, there is a heritage here. There is uh, an ancestral line and lineage and, and, and a deep energy here. Um, this used to be a woodland way back in medieval times where our heads were made for instance um, you can see the the iron ore coming out of the ground in various places within Springwood um, what the Druids used to call the blood of Gaia and then being kept be, was called the blood of Christ in more Christian Christian done ages but um, even before medieval times um, there is evidence here of this being a woodland or Wisman's woods a wise person's land um, we have ewes dating back probably a thousand years here and some coppiced um, chestnuts and others that some people say are dated back at least a thousand years. So there's, uh, you know, it, it goes back a long time and would have been a woodland even before then, way back before even the Romans to the times of the Druids. So there, it feels like there's a very strong connection here and certainly I get that, I sense that Druid energy when I'm here. Now that's not to say that you wouldn't also sense the ancestral connection in Parkland or in, in, a, in, a, in a park in London. So all I can say is that there is a, there is a magic here. There is a, a depth of, of, of healing potential here, um, which I've noticed the leaders that come here with various challenges and transformations that I help them with have noticed it as well. It's not just me, um, that, that, that depth of healing potential which the woods offer. Mm, amazing. So my next question is, is about your recent book, Leading by Nature. 
and I also want to ask, why write this one? You've written quite a few books about similar topics before, including regenerative leadership. What was it about this book that needed to be written that offers something different or unique to the ones before? Well, a bit like Springwood, I didn't purposely go out and find um, Springwood. It, it kind of happened. And it was the same with this book. I wasn't, I really was not thinking of writing another book. I mean, I had enough on my plate running this place and um, doing the work, work just becoming more and more uh, in demand. So um, it was the unconscious again. Things started happening and connections. I could see stuff was happening and people kept on mentioning. Um, so I, I felt it was time for another book and that's usually then when I ask um, inwardly and, and our spirit whether it is the right time and, and it was. Um, so then it just started forming and it formed quite quickly just before Christmas really I started um, pulling together the threads and then it just unfolds um, on a more practical level once then you st I start getting in the process of actually writing the book it becomes hugely rewarding for myself because it, it, it enables me to combine a lot of my thinking and to vocalize a lot of my practices and so this book as opposed to other books, I think I feel has probably more of my my own personal work in it, uh, my embodiment, um, the way in which I coach leaders through transformation. Um, so I think perhaps other books were making the case for the work. This actually goes into the work, um, and so is is a, is a handbook or, or a practical guide, um, as the strapline says. You know, the process of becoming a, a regenerative leader, and, and it's my hope that even in reading the book, there is a certain transmission that helps that process of becoming a regenerative leader. I think one of the things that jumped out at me when I read it was how rich the case studies were and how uh, much detail was um, presented, not just on a theoretical level, but on a practical level, of actually what is that shift that not just an individual makes, but a team can make, a whole organization can make uh, to not just learn from nature, but also to become more resilient and successful um, as an organization, not just in its purpose, but also in its bottom line. And so there was a fantastic case study of Vivo Barefoot. And I had the pleasure of meeting uh, the founder, Galihad, um, a few months ago. And uh, reading the book and the case study and, and seeing how much they have gone through a transformation uh, through these past years has been amazing and so I'd love to hear in your own words what is what's been the journey that you've had uh, taking this organization through this period and um, wh why was this place in particular so important to enabling that shift? Well yeah I've had the real pleasure of working with Vivo now for coming up for two years and really I think the journey begun for them um, here at Springwood when they came here, their leadership team came. The Equinox, um, the Autumn Equinox of, um, I think it was 2020, and um, it was a fine uh, autumnal day, and it was at the end of the day. I, I remember them arriving, the leaders, and Galahad and Asher, the two founders. Um, and, you know, there was this, um, ex you know, an expectation. They had already read regenerative leadership, and, and um, uh, we had, myself and Laura Storm, my previous co-author, had already started exploring some concepts with them. Um, and yet actually being here in person and exploring some of the techniques I talk about in Leading by Nature 
and actually it being an embodied experience I think had led to really a, a, a you know a, a switch being um, turned on in them and I remember sort of halfway through the day I could, I could see in Galahad's eyes something had changed and, and a number of the other leadership team and really at the end of the day he said well look you know we just need to be bringing everybody in vivo through this experience you know yes you, you know, it would be great to work with us but why not the whole why shouldn't the whole organization be experiencing Springwood and so then that led to um, well how do we make that happen how do we do that in a way that is part of a learning experience rather than just a series of one-off immersions um, so yeah that begun the journey and then also sort of begun looking into a deeper shift you know not just shifting people's awareness around regenerative leadership but actually transforming the organization its value propositions its culture its ways of showing up and making decisions and so it becomes more future fit mm. I'm thinking about not necessarily the the already converted group uh, who are drawn to sustainability, regenerative thinking, uh, who naturally find themselves at home in a forest or in a sharing circle. What is the value proposition to people that are maybe more in the mainstream of business? And for them, uh, going out into nature is more about uh, having a party and getting drunk rather than doing deep work. Uh, how do we communicate the value of this process to let's say the mainstream business world yeah I think that's really what I've been honing over the last 10 to 15 years now which is that you know a group of leaders coming sometimes from different organizations or maybe the same organization how does one take them quite quickly through a process of a profound shift that enables them to get it and to embody it um, because otherwise yeah um, you, you, you're just either turning into some form of team bonding exercise or just a quest into the woods or um, some form of escape and um, this is, has to be very practical has to rely um, relate to their business challenges whilst at the same token giving them an embodied shift so that's what I've been developing um, and so we have leadership teams coming here we had a, a company come over from Germany for instance they caught the flight um, plane into to, to Gatwick Airport they were here by nine o'clock in the morning and then they left at four o'clock in the afternoon so a leadership team comes has a short period of time or a CEO comes and often with a CEO it's, it's three hours you know you've got to be able to work with busy schedules and in that time you've got to be able to go quite quickly into depth and so I, that's what I've, I've learned to hone which is how do I quite quickly get them into a space where they feel able to truly open and to truly share the real challenges underneath what the superficial challenges um, and I've learned to do that within about an hour people are open and, and in a deep place whether it's a group or whether it's an individual and then from that place you can do the deep work and then if you're leaving uh, at three hours for instance or, or five hours that person has had an experience that they will always remember um, and I've done that I've worked with business schools where we've had people from all sorts of walks of life who aren't interested in sustainability or regenerative leadership and it's the same um, because I think what I'm working with is actually an innate humanity in us and an innate sense of connection with nature that we all have um, so it, it's, it's very rare certainly I haven't had any experience here at Springwood where someone hasn't 
dropped in and felt that deep connection. Thank you. Um, I'd like to zoom out now to the context of the last few years. Um, we've had all of this mess around Brexit and then uh, on top of that two years of pandemics and lockdowns and now the war in Ukraine. A lot of volatility, a lot of shifting, a lot of uh, change in markets and people and obviously uh, from the context of the professional world we've seen an acceleration in remote and hybrid working and we've seen uh, a massive shift in the expectations of top talent and also the way that people prefer and choose and sometimes demand to work and so how do you see all of these shifts um, within the context of building re regenerative resilient organizations for the future and what is the place that Springwood Farm has in enabling the building of successful remote and hybrid teams? Okay. Well, I think all of these issues are part of a bigger, more profound shift, a sort of dying of one age and the birthing of another um, that we're in, an in-between phase, a flickering state phase change, if you like, from an old way into a new way being born, struggling to be born. Um, with all the challenges that that has, Con contraction pains going on in that birthing process. So it's not straightforward. Um, any death rebirth process requires a hospicing of the old and a midwifing, if you like, of, of the new. And all of that is a healing space. And regeneration, when we really look deeply at what it means, the capacity to regenerate really is, is a death rebirth process and also a healing allowing the natural capacities that we have within all living systems whether a human being whether a team an organization uh, a stakeholder business ecosystem or whether it be the woodlands um, the prairies um, watershed whatever um, the system how do we tap in to the potential that that system has for its own regeneration for its own healing its own capacity to become more of who it truly is the evolutionary potential that we find within um, human and, and more than human life and so Springwood really is in its own way a regeneration project it was a bit of a mess when we arrived um, we've had to take out a lot of rubbish that humans have put in it and it's continuously regenerating in its own way and it's also showing us the natural capacity of regeneration through whether that be the spring summer autumn winter whether that be just being here in the woods and people arriving and going through a process of letting go of the old and then departing, feeling a deeper sense of connection. Um, so in a way, I would say that this is a womb. This is a place for gestating, for hospicing the old and opening up to the new. And included in that is a recognition or an empathic connection to the old, not just seeing the old as bad, but actually recognizing that the old way, whatever it is, mechanistic, materialism, um, um, capitalism, whatever it is, 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 has served a purpose that can be informing the new. Um, often I can find uh, sometimes it's easy to blame the old or point our finger at what was the cause of all of this. Whereas actually, well, how do we move on from this? How do we learn and how do we take 
that essence forward and evolve it. And so that's really what Springwood is about, creating a deep space for that gestation of the new and for our own regeneration potential to spawn. And in the context of remote and hybrid working, one of the things that I, I feel is really important is that you're not, as you shift away from a centralized office where people just clock in and clock out, just shifting completely to online work um, comes with a lot of uh, interpersonal challenges and problems and issues. And especially for technology companies um, that are hiring very quickly, um, potentially after they've raised investment or innovation teams within more corporate structures that are in many ways maybe um, being suffocated or not allowed to really do what they do best within a traditional office or work environment how important it is to not just one time but on a regular basis take teams out here um, and one of the things I love to reading about Vivo is that it wasn't just the leadership team coming getting enlightenment writing this fantastic mission statement and then saying okay guys we have the answers it was breaking it down so that the whole team could experience it but also seeing a Springwood as a as a practice not just a one-time fix just to have an idea or kind of um, reflect on what our purpose is but actually as a way of dealing with the natural tensions that arise within diverse multicultural um, teams uh, that often are very complicated especially if you're not just bringing together employees or staff members but you're bringing together partners and you're trying to find this bridge between competitive uh, very individualistic view of work to a more cooperative and interdependent view and um, one of the thing messages that I would love to, to send out to the world is that make an investment into a regular practice of going out into nature and shift from high fixed costs that could come from an expensive city office and translate that into a much more flexible investment into regular uh, nature experiences and nature immersions into booking innovative uh, space in the city where it's really designed for inspiration and creativity and then also give a resource to your people to choose. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and I think that is a massive opportunity. And um, what I wanted to do is hear your thoughts on whether you're seeing this appetite amongst companies and leaders that you're talking with, uh, and also the, the Vivo example, because they've actually made this shift themselves. Yeah, I think there's been a massive shift that's happened in part and mainly due to COVID, really brought it home quite quickly. I mean, the new world of work was happening before COVID, but it really got accelerated, this whole hybrid ways of working. Um, all, many organizations I come across, you know, st naturally struggling with that change and yet having meaningful spaces to connect, as you say, whether that's a, a really innovative, um, really nice co-working space in London where people can go and enjoy and, 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 and spark off and whether it's then interdispersed with some times in a deep space like Springwood, which is you know really easy to get to from London, um, then you've got these places where people can work through tensions, um, which you can't do in the same way on Zoom, Teams, and, and so forth. And so having those rich connections 
and then interdispersing that with your hybrid ways of working. So, you know, um, we don't need to be always in the office and yet having the human connections, especially when we're shifting a culture towards more self-managing agile ways of working is really important because things get misunderstood and we end up carrying a lot of stress uh, about what we think someone thinks of us or what you know someone said or didn't say on email or on a Zoom team meeting and a lot of that can just be eased right out. And not just that, that stuff but deeper stuff about well how do we really wish to show up and some deep conversations around the fire can only take a couple of hours um, but you know people really showing their emotional side and connecting more authentically really creates a, a bank of trust if you like that then a month or so or of heavy uh, intense working um, remotely um, can then draw upon and then you need to refresh it again um, so you know I've got, I've got a leadership team of a particular company that comes and the leadership team comes about twice a year for a, a, a deep experience and they're realizing that, that that's all well and good but actually we need to interdisperse this now for some of the middle managers and then I hopefully it'll dawn that well why should it just be the middle managers and leadership team um, but somewhere like Vivo uh, very sort of um, courageous founders um, actually took the decision well actually we're going to take through you know, over 100 staff through these emotions and for them to regularly come back and now teams so teams come to me and, and, and just sort of self-organize and say, okay, we'd like to you know, book a, a few hours down at Springwood and we're going to come down here and I get the flip charts out for them and they have a good you know, a thrash around ideas. I mean, the last company that, um, the last team that came here, I mean, the chap who ran the team, he said, we've, done, we've covered more in this four hours down here in the woods than we have in sort of you know, two months worth of Zoom meetings. So it's about quality of connection. And some of that can happen in nature some of that can also happen in London or a hub. Um, so just interdisperse that and find the right cadence. Um, but it shouldn't be just be one-off immersions. Wonderful. I'm really glad that you mentioned the fire. Um, one of the things that I think is, is so needed um, within any form of organizational change are two types of technology. There's the technology that we know, which is on the screens, the computers, the databases, automating things that can be automated um, and of course being able to connect anywhere and anytime around the world but then there's this other technology this um, wiser non-digital technology of how ancient technology you could say of how we gather how we connect how we become rooted and how we tap into our deeper senses and deeper knowing and deeper being and so I wanted to ask this question of what do you feel those technologies are um, that are practiced here at Springwood, um, such as the way of the council, um, always uh, the fire, and um, and also the the mindfulness of which we we enter into the into the woods. Yeah. So I have a, a, a process of the way in which we even walk into the woods, um, a, a certain rhythm, and I've designed the paths uh, in a certain way that helps with that sort of labyrinth of coming in. To a certain spiral of, of a process of becoming and a process of, of people engaging in practices along the way. Um, you could call it forest bathing um, and mindfulness and, and presencing. And I also use Theory U and um, embodiment practices. And I talk about Mikhail Csikszentmihalyi's work on flow. Um, so all sorts of things that stimulate um, the mind but also the body 
and I actually talk about the interconnectedness of, of life, of nature, and how that was responding, sensing and responding to us as we walk through the woods. So by the time people arrive in um, sort of the main room area where the work happens, where the dialogue around the fire and deep listening and way of counsel occurs, people are already in a psychologically different place than when they arrive, both individually and as a team. And it's important for the cohort to feel safe with each other and that there's that sort of hidden connection between them, um, subconscious safety. And so then quite quickly when we get into the, uh, the womb is we can then do some various practices like structured consolations, uh, using panarchy, living systems, learning and so forth, uh, interdispersed with deep listening and dialogue. Dialogue, great fan of dialogue, true dialogue. Uh, dia, meaning, the Greek meaning sort of through, um, really working through tensions, through sharing, um, using a talking stick and sitting around the fire um, quite quickly, even before lunch. Um, there has already been a deep opening. Um, often people people cry and, and let go of a lot of the stress and, and tensions they're holding, and that's very comfortable for people. Um, uh, you know, uh, usually people aren't perturbed by other people showing emotions, and it gives them permission to really open up. And so by lunchtime, already we have a group of human beings actually behaving as human beings rather than as sort of you know talking heads, egos, um, which is often where we are. And another practice I encourage is that we leave our mobile phones we switch our mobile phones and devices off and we leave them up at the arrival hall and i'm usually pretty strict about that i had a client here last week 24 people from a, a large um, organization big corporate and they were like oh well, we don't think we can do that we don't, and so i had to be quite firm with them and of course at the end of the day you know they were all like oh i'm so glad we did switch our mobile phones off amazing and is there a certain meaning for you um, that comes from making a fire? Because we could all sit around the circle without the fire, but what do you think it brings, having that extra layer? Well, there's, uh, at the whole space here at Springwood is a sacred space. Uh, I, don't, I don't need to speak to that because you don't, uh, all of this is about making people feel comfortable. So even the word sacred can make some people uncomfortable. But yes, I mean, I have usually set intentions for the group before they come. Um, and I've called in the elements and the directions, um, north, south, east and west and so forth. And um, when I light a fire and set a fire, um, it's a sacred act. And it's a way of helping the transmutation of energy. Um, in itself, it's a... It's a um, a representation of transformation in many ways. I mean, the flame, um, if we've ever looked at a flame, is made of electrons jumping up levels. That's what gives off, or that's what we think anyway, that's what we like to assume we understand by it. Um, but it's a, a, a emancipation of energy, if you like, um, which is of course a, a nice metaphor for our own shifting of consciousness up adult developmental levels of awareness. So it's a worldview shift and, and it's an alchemy it's a process of alchemy. The whole process here of a group coming in and engaging in dialogue and allowing tensions and conflict to transmute into learning is a whole process of alchemy. And of course, the fire is alchemy. Um, and um, the blend of fire and water, you know, a cup of tea um, and the steam, the kettle and the fire is, is, a, is a great representation of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that there's... Um 
a wonderful simplicity that goes beyond the complexity here at Springwood and uh, the act of dialogue I think is, is so crucial to uh, how organizations change and transform and, uh, and heal as well as people themselves. Creating an environment, a context in which people can actually show up and really practice dialogue rather than debate or argument or um, power, power plays is hard. You know, you get into a boardroom, you know, you're revved up with caffeine, you're sitting there, confrontational, uh, glass box, you went past a security guard, up a lift, uh, through an environment designed to dehumanize and create this uh, sense of power, either through the views or through the furniture and packed into a very tight space, sometimes not with even very good ventilation. How can you ever expect anything other than a fight, <laughs> an intellectual fight, you know, AKA these expensive shard-like boardroom meetings, meeting spaces. And, um, and then you, you come here, transformed through a mindful nature walk, some, some movement, uh, some breathing, uh, listening to the sounds of the birds and the trees all around us and the wind. And then you can actually enter into not a conversation that's based on enforcing your point of view or winning an argument or pushing forward your idea, but a place of genuine deep listening, uh, but also emergence of not necessarily pre-planning and pushing forward a fixed viewpoint, but allowing for a collective process, allowing for what is not expected or not planned but what comes from, from the moment and from the exchange of a group. And isn't that the source of genuine collaboration? Yeah. And so how to really e explain the importance of the environment to people that spend their, t their days in boardroom meetings in these, in these environments that actually prevent them from being collaborative and creative and in tune with their natural wisdom. So I want you just to invite you to speak to that and, uh, and in particular, the, the impact that you've seen amongst leaders that often spend their time in, in these more urban glass box boardrooms. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, often when we're at the edge of the wood on, at the end of the day and we have a circle just before we leave, um, people are, you, know, you can see some of them are, are, are often you know, slightly kind of, you know, um, amazed or, or surprised that, you know, gosh, you know, I'm, I'm a different person. Um, uh, than I was just a few hours ago and I think it draws home to people how much we are in a state of fight flight and in a state of as you said almost sort of a war mentality um, without realizing you know from the moment we're up through getting to work and in the office um, fighting through emails and attending meetings and either in that war mentality or just sort of switching off you know I think we seem to flick from either being sort of stimulated in a sort of slightly unbalanced way or actually just being bored um, and these you know meetings this mechanistic culture that is meant to pride itself on efficiency and effectiveness um, at the heart of it are these these rather ineffective inefficient meetings of people either talking heads um, or 
feeling a bit bored and maybe multitasking, checking their emails and uh, in a quite a stale um, atmosphere. So I think getting out of that, changing that, and of course there's many ways to change that in the office environment as well. Uh, but coming here in the woods quite quickly, it's disarming. I think m many of the reasons why we don't show our vulnerability or our authenticity or open is because we feel slightly threatened or judged by others. And when you're in the woods and through the process that I provide to get here into the centre of the woods, really that is just allowing all of that to melt away and for people just to feel at ease and unjudged because each other, I've invited each other to share something quite deep and vulnerable that actually then they go, okay, we're all in this space together. We're not judging. It's not a joke. It's not some kind of funny thing to, to, to throw off or be cynical about. This is real and it's quite simple, as you say. It's powerful and simple. And so, yes, quite quickly you can then get to a space of real collaboration, real engagement and, as you say, emergence. Um, what is life if it isn't but emergence? What is regeneration or regenerative leadership or future fit business or innovation or creativity? All of these things, if it's not emergence, you know, being able to create something anew out of something, out of attention, and to not be able to do that, to allow the tension to bring you down rather than up, is such a waste of energy. Mm. And so, for no other reason other than to enhance the throughput of energy, even though that feels very mechanistic, mm. then coming into nature. Um, is is a reason for doing that but of course much more happens we're no longer just interested in the throughput of energy we're interested in the how and why and how does it feel and what's the purpose behind it mm. Mm. Yeah. one of the things that I think tends to happen whenever you talk about nature and business is it just everyone just gets labelled as oh yes yeah, that's sustainability thing right it's it's uh, it's about uh, yeah, saving the planet and reducing carbon emissions and like the people that care about that and responsible for that, you guys go do that. And we can get on with, with actually running an organization and paying bills and creating jobs. What I love about Lead by Nature is actually the word sustainability is used very little. Um, and it's not really even about saving the planet um, or kind of cutting carbon. What it's about is about how we approach building organizations um, and working on ourselves um, and nature being a fantastic catalyst for that process. So it's not a book for sustainability leaders, it's a book for leaders. It's a book for people that recognize that in order to be resilient, successful, even profitable uh, in this new age, uh, we need to be less hierarchical, we need to be more adaptive, um, and we need to be more decentralized in the way that we approach uh, what we do that's the best way to scale right? rather than top down and incredible overheads we need to be agile or we'll be out of business or we'll um, uh, go bankrupt or we'll have a hostile takeover whatever it might be so this is a book that is about leadership not just sustainability this is a book that is about uh, tapping into new forms of organization and it's about actually getting more done with less. And it focuses very much on the human interpersonal dynamics. And, uh, and yeah, I think this is why 
it's a book that is uh, is really trying to reach into the mainstream as much uh, as one can do when you put nature and business together. So I wanted to, to end with a, the question which is to founders, to um, CEOs, to kind of chief something officers of organizations across the country that would um, not necessarily consider themselves to be embodied leaders or particularly uh, driven by sustainability or particularly driven by um, uh, making a difference. The ones that are like, we need to make money, we need to pay jobs. How do you explain to them that they should buy this book, they should read it, and the impact this will have not just on their companies but their lives? Well, I, um, I've always struggled to persuade anyone to, to do anything um, that they shouldn't really be doing. Um, I, I, I feel leading by nature really is to help all leaders become more human, uh, to become more of who they truly are, and to unlock brilliance from their workforce. And I think perhaps all leaders want to enable their organizations to be future fit, to thrive. Um, some leaders, I would say, are really struggling at the moment with that. Um, some leaders are, have an insight of what is possible, and I suspect it's probably those um, that will buy the book first. But as you rightly say, the book is for anyone, um, it, for, for anyone aware or, or, or not aware of some of the challenges. Um, and what I would say is that this is a massive um, opportunity um, for change in human civilization, in human consciousness, um, that we're living through. It's an epic moment. Uh, we are massive um, wholesale change, you know, to halve um, carbon emissions by 2030, reduce nature loss, um, improve prosperity for all, uh, deal with mental health challenges, uh, a new world of work, uh, rising sense of purpose and meaning in the workplace, uh, fragile supply chains, all of these, you know, COVID climate conflict, massive challenges that we're facing, all of which are business challenges that leaders are having to deal with today. We can't, simply can't deal with those challenges with the level of consciousness that created them, the mechanistic mindset. And therefore it begs the obvious question, which is, okay, so what is the mindset we need? And that's what Leading by Nature addresses, uh, hopefully in a very practical and open and easy to digest way. Tools and techniques that enable our leaders to transform their organizations in the midst of the times that we find ourselves in. <laughs> Giles, I want to say a massive thank you for hosting me and showing me around. I think that whatever expectations I had when I was coming here were far exceeded. Um, and I think the magic of this place is that you haven't just created a, a barn and then took people for a walk. You've actually made the forest the classroom. And there's so many of these magical spaces that um, where moments can can happen really beautiful moments uh, that feel as if they were by chance or by luck but actually a great design and a, a lot of thought and wisdom has been has been put and so my final question is 
is to ask you to give a bit of advice and wisdom to others that might have woodlands or farms across the country uh, to encourage them to create their own um, uh, forest classrooms and nature immersions because we need more than just one spring but we need a whole network a world of springs yeah well there's lots already emerging and there's a whole market out there for sort of you know um, places I mean what this isn't is glamping or anything like that um, it's very simple here and I think any farm owner or landlord needs to you know kind of work out what they want um, do they want um, places where people can come and you know have showers and um, camp and, and 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 live for a few days um, with really fine food or um, and that's uh, that serves its purpose and maybe then can also be used for other functions like weddings and yoga retreats and so forth um, or do you want something that is 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 by its nature sort of allowing people to tap into nature and so there th then less is more and the insight I would probably share is um, allow things to emerge uh, I used to be a project manager for many years and it was would have been easy for me to come along and hear and project manage everything and I purposely tried to allow myself just to listen to the woods and to allow things to emerge and um, I'm lucky to have my wife as well who bounce ideas off with and just allowing things to emerge with each step is probably the insight I would share with anybody who's working with nature allow nature to inform you of how to design things Amazing. finally what is your favorite moment of memory so far in the last few years here in spring I think seeing my children running up the drive from the woods covered in mud after they've given themselves a mud bath and um, also catching a glimpse of my wife having a skinny dip in the lake um, so yeah I mean I think seeing myself and, and our family enjoy the place I have to say I, I think actually um, Vivo coming at that autumn equinox that was the beginning of the journey um, on that lovely autumnal afternoon was also a nice memory so far and we're coming up to the the end of the beginning in a way the beginning of our our third year here this summer and it feels like the first chapter of Springwood is now complete and the Vivo has very much been an important part of that Galahad and, and co and so yeah something I think along that my, my children running in the woods my wife in the lake swimming mm. and uh, Galahad and co uh, engaging with the place um, you said first chapter what does the second chapter look like? Uh, well I think uh, uh, exploring things like this with you Anton where different groups come um, so whether that be millennials um, whether that be people uh, transcending different parts of society I, I, I personally have an interest in systemic change so I'm, doing some, I'm involved with some projects around the world where we're looking at, at cities and wider system shifts. That really interests me, as well as the corporate work and leadership work I do. So very much, you know, the basis is it has been made, you know, successfully proving, uh, transforming leaders 
um, uh, in-person sessions as well as online sessions and journeys and then the same with organizations uh, but I'd like to do some more system change uh, and involving you know so for instance uh, um, someone who came to a workshop here recently is now doing some work with a, a, a variety of educators in southeast London and community leaders so bringing a group of diverse people like that here uh, you and I have been talking about about bringing uh, millennials uh, and innovators um, from and um, you know PR agencies uh, creatives so exploring things like that uh, I think will be part of the exciting journey but the short answer is I have no idea what the next <laughs> chapter um, involves because I haven't planned it I'll just let it emerge amazing thank you so much Giles for allowing this to take place and um, I can't wait for this next chapter well thank you Anton for taking the time out come here and experience Springwood uh, it's a real pleasure to be with you again and we've known each other for many years and um, your your work is in many ways a forefront of much of this change so it's been an honor to be in conversation with you <laughs>